And we welcome you on in to another episode of the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. Mitch Spinell alongside Mitchell Ballard here to give you the latest in the sporting world. Mitch, it's good to have you back, man. I hope you're recovering well uh, from your surgery. And uh, it's good to have you back here to have another face, another voice in this conversation. It's good to be back, Mitt. Wow. Good to be back. See, look, I'm just so excited to be back already that I'm stuttering over myself. I appreciate you and everybody else out there that did reach out. I'm doing fine in, in my recovery. I already did PT, so things looking up, but two episodes off for me, and I feel like I missed a boatload of things to talk about, so I'm excited to dive in today. Absolutely, and we're doing it on a day in which it is, uh, it's slushy is the is the correct term for our, our podcasting uh, conditions today. Of course, we're in, we're in air conditioned and heated rooms, but outside it's very snowy. A lot of schools in my area called off today. I'm sure it was the same for your area. And um, with that, we will now go over into our first discussion of the day. But before we do that, I want to remind you guys, you can find us here on, not only on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe at the bell, but also our podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Spotify and, and uh, YouTube, video and audio, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud audio only. Also go to our website, BigTimeSportsOhio.com. And, uh, you know, you can find us there on Facebook, Big Time Sports Ohio, same as Instagram. Twitter is BTS. Ohio at BTS, Ohio at Mitch Spinell at Mitchell Bala. So Mitch, I'm looking at some of the stuff that was happening in the federal league, especially last night where you saw a number of games uh, that were, that were kind of close, especially among the top teams in the conference. Take me through some of these ones. You, you, you sent me the score of last night. Jackson was able to remain atop the federal league standings. They boys went over Lake. We also had McKinley, kind of pulling a stunning win over Glen Oak. I mean, I know they're pretty close in conference play, but Glen Oak's gotten to such a great start in uh, outside uh, competition that I was a little stunned to see McKinley get that victory. But before we do that, Jackson, tell me about what the Polar Bears were able to do despite Chance Kazenheiser having another solid game for the Blue Streaks. You mentioned the name Chance Kazenheiser, Mitch. We'll get to him in a second. Jackson was able to defend home court last night, which is exactly what they wanted to do. This is a team that... Back in early December, went on the road to Lake. It was actually our big-time sports game of the week. And Jackson held a lead for most of the entire contest up until about three minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Mitch. And then Lake came back and beat Jackson 47-46. And last night, Lake led 2-0, and that was all Lake would lead. However, out of the halftime locker room, Jackson, which took a lead into the halftime locker room, out of the halftime locker room comes Chance Kassenheiser. And Mitch, he was on fire. The junior guard for Lake is as good as advertised. Just a week or so ago, he broke the single-game record for most points scored in a Lake Blue Streak contest. He, he can shoot it from anywhere on the floor, and as an undersized guard at the high school level, not undersized, but looking ahead you know, college and everything, he's not afraid to drive inside. And he shoots it efficiently, and that's what he did last night. He shot it so well that Jackson had to start going to offensive defensive, defensive substitutions, Mitch, in the third quarter. Usually you see that in the games when you're fouling. Alvin Altman came off the bench for Jackson and was phenomenal. So phenomenal that Kassenheiser did not touch the ball the final four minutes of the third quarter and the first three minutes and 30 seconds of the fourth quarter. Altman face guarded him the entire time. Kassenheiser, who had brought Lake all the way back to within two points, was not able to overcome that two-point deficit, put him over the hump, but with under a minute to go. It was an 11-point lead. Lake did not go away. Kassenheiser drills a three over the outstretched arm of a six foot seven Owen Wolbert. Mitch, he is as good as advertised, but Jackson 
got a massive win. And in terms of federal league standings, that's why it's massive because now Jackson is 12 and four overall and seven and two in federal league play. They now have a half game advantage over the next closest team, which is Glen Oak at five and three and green at five and three. And now McKinley Lake at five and four. And for Jackson, there's never an easy night in the fed looking ahead. There's going to be a couple of big ones, but they only have to go on the road one more time. And it's at McKinley. So now you have wiggle room, but for Lake Mitch, Kassenheiser is phenomenal. He's only a junior. And with how things have worked out in the federal league this year, I don't know how you can't say he's federal league player of the year at this moment. And that's no disrespect to any of the other players on the green bulldogs on the Jackson polar bears, the McKinley bulldogs and, and uh, the Hoover Vikings, what he's able to do without him. I don't know where Lake would be. And if you took him and put him on any other team in the federal league, they would automatically be the favorite. That's how good he is. But Jackson gets revenge, 57-53. Owen Wolbert, 15 points, 13 rebounds. Kyle Monterubio was in double figures. James Bozart, a great game. And Finnefrock, the sniper for Jackson, had two major three-point makes last night. And what was a very impressive win for Jackson? Absolutely. You mentioned those Bulldogs. They are now 7-7 uh, uh, seven seven on the year. And then 5-3, and three, as you mentioned, in conference play. They beat uh, Glen Oak 66-54. to 54 over at their their place and Reed Sims had a good night 20 points on the game I mean where does McKinley really stand to you in this in, in this area of play because we've seen them have a couple of games especially on their home floor this year where they've kind of been very outmatched but then you see a win like this against a Golden Eagles team that was up for a majority of the season kind of slid has slid off in the last couple of weeks where do you see that they're standing in uh this conference besides just the numbers and the standings Besides, well, let's just start with the numbers. They're not out of the federal league race. I no. mean, this is a team that still has to welcome Jackson here. They still play green again this year, Mitch. I mean, there are some big games, and McKinley realistically can still control their own destiny, as crazy as that sounds, where they're sitting at fourth place in the federal league standings. But this McKinley Bulldog team, Mitch, I think when you look back at where the season started, they were the favorite on paper to win the federal league. Returning tremendous uh, players from last year, a boatload of talent, the familiarity factor was there and playing at the field house is always an advantage for the McKinley Bulldogs, which surprisingly they've been better on the road, at least in the past two weeks, winning at Lake by over 20 and then winning at Glen Oak last night. What I will say about this Bulldog team though, Mitch is with how the high school playoffs are and where we're at now with the super districts. And basically here in Stark County, it ranges all the way from Stark County all the way up north to the Mayfield area and all the way east, pretty much near the Pennsylvania border. There are so many talented teams, and we're probably going to get into this here in the next coming weeks because the draw is less than two weeks away. There are so many talented teams, Mitch, that the McKinley Bulldogs are going to be underseeded, and it's not going to surprise me one bit when they pull off some upsets because this team is so capable of not only beating good teams but winning a district championship. I mean, there's going to be... It's going to be a slugfest come playoff time, and I can't wait to get to talk about that. But this McKinley Bulldog team, to me, has underachieved to this point, but they're flying under the radar. And sometimes that's better. That is better than being the team with the bullseye on your back. And listen, they could still win the Federal League, but if there's one team I don't want to draw in the playoffs, in the district round, it's the McKinley Bulldogs because they are talented enough to beat anybody on any given night. I could see that. It was two weeks ago, by the way, that Jackson was able to earn that victory over McKinley at home. Monterubia had 20 points on that game, and then Wilbert at 18 as a paint presence inside. So McKinley will have to do a little bit more 
to avenge that loss uh, later on. There's also the game that was last night between Green and Hoover. Nick Bundelow had a very solid night for the Bulldogs as they were able to beat the Vikings 49 to 45. Nick Bundelow might be the best kept secret inside Stark County and not known very well right now outside of Stark County. And there's a, there are a few reasons for that, but let's just stick basketball related, Mitch, a six foot seven sophomore. And he is coming off the bench for the green Bulldogs who started off the season Rocky. There's no way around that. I think if you, if we had a chance to co- talk to coach Mark Kinsley, he'd agree with that off the bench last night at Hoover in a game. They needed him. Hoover Mitch was playing green neck and neck. They end the third quarter with three straight three point field goals made and opened the fourth quarter with another three to tie the game at 34 green got all they could handle. They started off the game slow shooting wise, a very poor performance to open the game from the floor, but Nick Bundelow down low was a handful. Hoover was not able to contain him. And in fact, you are able to go to Twitter on our big time sports, Twitter, uh, and really any basketball outlet that covers high school sports. And there is a thunderous two-handed slam. He throws down off an alley-oop uh, on social media right now. And this kid can play Mitch. This kid is so talented. Not only is he a post player, he can ball handle and trying to defend somebody that's six, seven and can dribble the ball up the court and cross you over and then pull up from three. It's pretty scary and tough to defend against that. And I still don't think that he's tapped into that full potential yet, which makes green another team that is very scary as the season goes on. But all in all, a strong showing from Hoover. Hoover has been a team that just hasn't been able to really close the gap in some of these games this year. They're a younger team, but you know, they're battle tested. And we've talked to many coaches in the federal league. We've known from experience, just from watching and talking that these teams, in the federal league that don't have a lot of federal league wins doesn't mean they're necessarily a bad team and they can get to the playoffs and they're going to be battle tested, but a huge win for green. And like I said, Jackson at seven to two half game lead over everybody else in the loss column, Glen Oak and green tied at five and three at second place. McKinley Lake tied at third at five and four. This is a five team race coming down the stretch. Yeah, Brady Rollison also had 13 points in the game for Green and team best seven boards for arguably their top player. It just looks with, with Hoover, they weren't able to get a standout scoring performance in that one because Crew Kane and Wesley Collins were the leading scorers for the Vikings, and they only had 10 points apiece. Zach Brower yeah. and uh, Grant Walker each had eight points as well, but uh, you know, it was just a, a good win for Green, and we'll see where the Federal League goes from here. I'm also looking now to see where the OCC goes because New Philadelphia uh, handed Lexington their first conference loss of the year last night, 55 to 53, in a, in a revenge game for the Quakers. They had uh, Owen Miller scoring a career high 17 points, while Michael Vickers, Colton Slaughter, and Carter Vandal rounded out the top scoring for new Philadelphia last night. I was in Dover for our big time sports game of the week, uh, between the crimson tornadoes and Perry high school a game in which, uh, Dover was able to win, uh, 56 to 27, a game in which Dover really dominated defensively that Panthers team, Mitch is really struggling without Xander Saban on the floor, of course, out due to injury, Joel Brown, even who's been having a couple of 15 to 20 point games in the last couple of weeks, even he had his offensive struggles last night. So the Panthers were just not able to take down a Tornadoes team. That's very interesting. The Crimson Tornadoes are now 14 and two on the year. They played two games in the Ohio Valley Athletic Conference so far this year. They're going to play a third this coming Friday against Parkersburg South. So really, it's like Dover does operate a lot as an unofficially independent school. But 
it's interesting some of the competition that they're able to bring in, and I'm curious as to what that'll mean for them when the tournament starts and they will face off against more more of their area uh, opponents. You also have uh, Buckeye Trail keeping up in the standings in the IVC North by beating East Canton last night. Garrett Berger, by the way, 23 points, another new member this year of the 1,000 point career club. So the Warriors are now 10 and 5, 6 and 2 in IVC play. Uh, you also have, uh, I mentioned New Philadelphia, Strasburg was able to beat Newcomerstown. They got a tricky situation involved. One of their top players in Joe Fisher is now out for a while for the Tigers. So now Cole Hutchinson and Gage Moore are really leading the way. Hutchinson had 15 points, more 17 points last night uh, against the Trojans, who are still looking for their first victory of this season, not just in conference play. And then you also have here, as I go down the list, Claymont beating Ridgewood. Uh, that game was 43-38. to uh, Sammy Detweiler and Alex Miller led Highland uh, again over Sandy Valley, 50-41. to And down in Janaden Hutton, a game that was very high scoring between two very good IBC pro- South programs. But Garraway suffered its second loss of the season, second in conference play, 62-58, to this time to the Indian Valley Braves. Now, Indian Valley is now one game back of the Pirates in the IVC South. The Pirates have been the leaders in the conference division for pretty much the entire year. So I'm I'm curious as to where, where this uh, standings, this race will go by the end of the season. And, and to see if that earlier season loss that Garraway suffered to Claymont, who's not as high in the standings, but still, you know, kind of in there, 7-10, and 4-4 four and four in the division. I'm I'm wondering if that's going to come back to bite them. We'll see if Indian Valley can make a run here in the last couple of weeks heading into the tournament. As you mentioned, in a few weeks, we'll be getting the tournament draws uh, for girls and boys. Well, and that's what I wanted to mention for anybody that's tuning in saying, well, what about the girls? Well, with the snow days here, a lot of games canceled today. Plus, they were being played tonight. The tournament for girls is decided this week, Mitch. So we're talking about watching games that happen this weekend and then come next week on our next episode not only are we recapping the games, we're going to be able to look at a bracket and determine where some of these schools are going to be in less than two weeks. And that's exciting in in and of itself too, because there's some very talented girls basketball teams in both of our respective counties. No doubt. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be going over some more outside stuff and uh, you know, we'll be going over some of the things that happened this past weekend. Stay with us. Hey there folks, this is Mitch Spinell and I want to give you guys a quick message regarding 988. If you don't know what 988 is, it was created to make it easier to remember how to get help in the event of a mental health or addiction crisis. This is different than a medical fire or police emergency where 911 should still be called immediately. 988 connects you with Stark County's Crisis Center, which is equipped to help people in emotional distress or experience a mental health or addiction crisis. So remember, 911 for medical, fire, and police emergency help, and 988 for support in overcoming a mental health crisis in Stark County. Buying a home has never been so affordable with record low interest rates. Hartzler's Quality Housing is ready to put over 40 years of experience to work for you. Family owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's has a wide selection of model homes on site with a knowledgeable team to help make your new home a reality. Open six days a week, visit them off I-77 in Dover or online at Hartzler's.com. Hartzler's Quality Housing, quality from start to finish. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet, Buick, Cadillac, Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. 
Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. You invest a lot in your home and vehicle purchases. Van Nostrin Young & Associates want you to feel secure should anything happen to those investments. We partnered with providers like Grange Insurance and other industry leaders to be sure you're presented with the most complete coverage to fit your needs. Because we're not only here to protect the items you invest in, we're here to protect your future as well. Call Van Nostra and Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-497-1867. We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world. Get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. Wendy's without the Wendy's app is like nugs without the sauce. <gasps> or a Frosty without the fries. <gasps> or a hamburger without the fresh beef. No! Level eight. Get the app to order ahead, order delivery, earn free food, and get app-exclusive offers. One app, all the Wendy's. Offer for a limited time at participating Wendy's. Terms apply. App registration required. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Vive Auto Sales, located on West High Avenue in New Philadelphia and Cleveland Avenue in Canton, is a used car dealership committed to getting financing for everyone. We give every customer that walks in our showrooms a prime buying experience, no matter their credit score or financial situation. Current inventory can be viewed at www.wefinancenow.com. Check out our Facebook pages for the most up-to-date information about upcoming events and promotions happening at Vive Auto Sales. And welcome back to the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. It's Mitch Spinell alongside Mitchell Balla. Mitch, you know, we are now in conference championship week of the NFL playoffs the NFL postseason it is going to be for the second consecutive year. The Kansas City Chiefs facing off with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Philadelphia Eagles will face off with the San Francisco 49ers. This will be the second straight year that San Francisco has reached the conference final. Now, as we go over some of the games that we didn't get to earlier this week, I mean, I, I'm just going to start off with the game that caught my interest the most, a game which I did not expect, but I thought it was a possibility. And Cincinnati now I think has become in a lot of people's minds, the most dangerous team in the postseason after beating Buffalo 27 to 10 in a game that at times, Mitch didn't even feel that close because Cincinnati was doing so many things, right. Especially towards the offensive and defensive lines. It, I feel like 27 to 10 is still too close to your point, Mitch, for how it felt the entire game. I mean, the Bengals had more first downs in the first quarter than I believe the bills did plays mm -hmm. offensively. Yep. 14 nothing lead. Um, I, I had picked the Bills and pick them. You picked the Bengals. So kudos to you. And the Bengals look like the same exact team from last year, Mitch. Road Warriors. And they're going to the same spot they were in last year. And anybody that's really doubting them or, or thinking they don't have a chance, I ask why. And we'll probably get into that here in a little bit. But the Bills looked bad. So, Mitch, I ask you, did the Bills look bad because the Bengals did something? Or was something off with the Bills? 
something is definitely off of the Bills in terms of them being able to command both the lines. As I mentioned, they haven't had the strongest running game, but it especially was showcased on that uh, in that snow sort of game, which we'll get to in a bit. But I think Cincinnati just kind of came out with more of a pop offensively than Buffalo was able to. And then, of course, you have a couple of late mistakes that Cincinnati was not making in a game like this. So I don't know, man. It's Cincinnati's just got that sort of it factor. And I was already on the thing of where that, that whole thing with Cincinnati saying it was disrespectful that uh, they, the NFL was already selling Bills, Chiefs, AFC title game tickets. That was ridiculous. Whole thing, whole thing was ridiculous to me because that's how the business of the NFL works. You get those tickets out late. And Bengals fans, Bengals were already selling tickets too, but that was a whole other thing. But now it's kind of like, yeah, I legitimately do think that there were a lot of people that thought the Bills were just going to win on Sunday, on that weekend game, and then it was going to be Bills versus Chiefs to see who really was the best team in the AFC. But then the Bengals were like, hold on a second here. We're, we're still in this too. We've made it here before, and now they're definitely going to get that opportunity. And I would argue, Mitch, they have an even better chance. It's not really an argument. It's, it's likely now because of what's going to happen. They have much more of a chance to win than they did last year, and they won. I, I completely agree. And not only just more of a chance, the confidence factor here, Mitch, I know they're pro athletes. I know that they're paid to do this and it's a, it's a profession, but there is a, a confidence thing when you play a team and the Bengals are three and over the chiefs in the last two years. And the chiefs are zero and three, including a loss in the AFC championship game at Arrowhead. I mean, that is definitely a factor that I think benefits the Bengals. And I, to your point, it is a business. The NFL was doing what they have to do in terms of selling tickets. The Bengals took offense to it. You heard Joe Burrow afterwards in the post game with Tracy Wolfson say better issue their refunds. You know, it's, it's funny. It just, it sucks. It sucks because I like the Bengals and they're in our, our division. I don't know how you can dislike Joe Burrow. The dude is a cool cat. I, I just, the way he can carries himself, the way he plays football, the way the Bengals play. And I also am just so confused because the last time the Bengals lost Mitch, was on Monday Night Football to the Cleveland Browns. Yes. The game the Browns embarrassed them. Two years in a row, that's that's happened to the Bengals. Yeah. And they... since then, they have righted the ship. They have not lost a game, and they have looked like the best team in football. And may I add, obviously there are things that were out of everyone's control on that Monday Night Football game. Mm-hmm. But Mitch, this could have been a completely different scenario if this Monday Night Football game, in which we saw was suspended and ended up not being played, was played. The Bengals were up seven to three. Yes, it was early on, but if the Bengals would have won that game, things could look a lot different, so different that maybe there's a chance the Bengals are hosting the AFC championship game this week. Now the chiefs took care of their business, but this whole, the bills are obviously better than the Bengals. We didn't really know that we didn't get a chance. We were supposed to see it on a Monday night football game. We didn't for obvious reasons, but the NFL, it's funny because you and I are both on Twitter. We send things almost every day to each other. And the memes out there of the Bills now being stuck in the same place for three straight years and the whole, oh, the NFL changed the rule for the Bills because the overtime game last year and the Bills right. couldn't even get Chiefs. It's crazy to think. And now, Mitch, as crazy as it sounds, the NFL is a wild league, as are most professional sports leagues and associations. Where do the Bills go? I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're trading Stefan Diggs because I have absolutely no issue with how Stefan Diggs acted. He is an athlete. 
That is his job. And he's also human. I know for me, I am a sore loser nine times out of 10, right? I'm, I, and you want to stick a microphone in his face and see what he says. That's where athletes can sometimes mess up in the heat of a moment. So I have no sure. problem with what Stefan Diggs did at all. I yeah. want to just make sure I said no, I mean, I don't necessarily think what he did was wrong. I think the the look of him ripping into into Josh Allen on the sideline, it could have been like, oh, you maybe you could have saved that for the locker room or somewhere where the, the public can't see that because it does make you think that, oh, Buffalo's starting to melt down as an organization a little bit. And, and, and they just need to get some running game. They need to get some sort of running back in that system that could take the ball away from Josh Allen. And not to say that Josh Allen doesn't deserve the ball, but the guy proves it proves it every week he also proves that sometimes the he can make a costly turnover here and there but uh you know it's it's fascinating to see as far as Bengals are, are a likable team i think joe burrow is the likable catalyst for that Bengals team there are some guys on there where i'm like oh, okay i, I went back to that whole disrespectful thing i'm like i i get it in the sense of you want to hype yourselves up and you want to make it like okay nobody thinks we can win let's keep it going but i'm like guys you were here you were in the championship game and kept in the game last year i don't think anybody's selling you short this year like they were selling short the jacksonville jaguars who ended up losing to kansas city expectedly on uh this weekend but i will give them some credit they kind of kept in there for a little bit and they threw a monkey wrench in this championship game now because patrick mahomes is not at 100 percent. so i don't know what's going to happen this week i i i find it very likely he's going to play but mm, I, I don't know this is an interesting scenario where it's kind of like two years ago when he the Browns nearly concussed him out of the game and and obviously they get the job done there. I mean, how hard is it going to be for how much harder is it going to be for Kansas City this weekend if Mahomes is kind of hobbling around? Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because now I'm going to say it as it's official per head coach Andy Reid today of Ari Merov on Twitter. Reid said the entire roster is available to practice today, including quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Now, Mitch, just because you're available to practice does not mean you're hundred percent. So let's just, let's just set that right, right there. Mahomes won't be hundred percent. He had a high ankle sprain. That is typically a four to six week injury. And you hear it all the time. Yeah. You can shoot somebody up and you can play off adrenaline, which is what yeah. Patrick Mahomes probably did on Sunday Yeah, or Saturday. Excuse me. Now you have rest the next day. You, you left that game. You won the game. You're still on adrenaline. You go to bed, you wake up the next day. He was hurting. And for Mahomes, Mitch, there's no doubt he is a talented quarterback, if not the best quarterback in the NFL. But part of what makes him magical is the ability to scramble and throw on the run at different angles, as we always see, because as soon as he makes a sidearm throw, it's on every single sports account on social media. I don't think he's going to be able to do that this weekend. Nope. And if he is, how efficiently? And if you're the Bengals, there's two ways to look at it. Do you put pressure on him every time to try to make a quick throw? Or do you rush for and double team probably the guy that, has beaten everybody every single game the Chiefs win and Travis Kelsey. I think this throws a huge wrench into it. I think betting and gambling sites that because this was a Bengals team that was an underdog one and a half points on Sunday night that is now a two and a half point favorite, Mitch. So that has not happened by accident. There's something going on. We don't know. Mahomes being able to practice could literally mean he's able to stand there and throw a football. Right. Like let's let's call it for what it is. You know, sick I have the number right here. Six out of his First 12 passes were from outside the pocket before he got injured on, on that game against Jacksonville. He threw 18 passes after his injury. You know how many times he he threw it in the pocket? I'm going to 18. Guess. 18 yeah. out of 18. No passes from outside the pocket. He wasn't able to to get out of there. He was just it was basically just quick throw after quick throw. 
And that's it, it helps to have a guy like him so that it doesn't completely derail his entire process. But if there's a timing issue between him and Kelsey, if there is uh, just a split second where he can't get the ball out of his hands and Cincinnati is able to punch through for a sack or a hurry, that could be the key difference, especially if Cincinnati's not making mistakes like they did against Buffalo. And it's not the fact that he's able to scramble with pressure. It's just the fact that he's able to extend plays as long as possible. And that's why you see these wide receivers or someone like Isaiah Pacheco or the running backs wide open down the field. We were so accustomed to seeing it, obviously, firsthand with Tyree Kill as Browns fans in 2020. But now you just wonder, what is that going to look like? But look, Andy Reid is a genius. He's one of the top coaches of all time, Mitch. I think it's safe to say. He's going to have a game plan. It's more so, can Mahomes execute it? And if he can't, Mitch, your season's on the line. You just had your backup quarterback drive 98 yards for a scoring drive against Jacksonville. Yeah, and Chad so, I would think I would think I don't like to say his name, please. It still brings back nightmares. Um, I would think the Chiefs have some confidence in Chad Henney to come in if need be. If Mahomes were to get hit again on a sack or gets rolled up on and he can't play, he did it against us and he did it again against Jacksonville. I would think they have confidence, and Andy Reid is a smart enough coach to do that. The one thing I want to bring up, Jacksonville was in that game to the end. They were one fumble away yeah. for potentially making it a one-score game when right. Jamal Agnew fumbled inside what was the 10 or the 5. But Mitch, the Jaguars' defense did not put pressure on Mahomes once he was injured. No, They seemed to draw more people into coverage. And I just wonder why. The thing you want to do is probably put a quarterback under duress that can't move and try to get him to make a mistake. Well, I mean, if he's going to be in the pocket the entire time, you basically want to block off his receiver so that he can't find an open man, but they were still finding guys with those short passes. So I, I get the... I get the concept. The execution just wasn't there because Jacksonville just wasn't the team to go up against this sort of Kansas City squad. Yeah. Listen, good season for Jacksonville. Hand up. Yeah. Left hand up because I can't put my right hand up. Uh, I was wrong. I did not think Jaguars would do anything like they did this season. Me neither. It will be interesting to see what they do next year um, because obviously there's the statistic that numerous teams that make the playoffs don't make it next year. They're a team I would keep an eye on. We'll see. But Kansas City versus Cincinnati, I think – for me, I think is more enjoyable than Buffalo and Kansas city. Could be just given, given what happened last year at this same exact, you know, stage, but I'm excited. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the AFC championship and who's going to represent the AFC in the super bowl. Yeah. Well for Jacksonville, good on uh, coach of the year candidate, Doug Peterson. They just released that today. And speaking of Peterson, his former team, the Eagles, we'll get to the other one in a bit. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, they beat their NFC East rival, New York, uh, pretty sizably on that, that weekend's game. I knew it was going to happen. Philadelphia was just coming in, not having looked great over the last few weeks of the season. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. That was just a clearly more talented team. And Philadelphia comes in. It's going to be a, uh, a hard, hard game for their incoming opponent. And I don't want to spend too much time on this one, but, uh, any thoughts regarding the Eagles or even the giants? Cause the giants, I think made some major strides towards this season, but, uh, you know, they're going to have some decisions to make this offseason. Uh, on, on terms of the Giants, I, in my opinion, Mitch, I don't have a vote. If I did, Brian Dable would be my head coach uh, or coach of the year award winner. I mean, he took a team that we all thought was garbage, uh, basically with the same exact roster and led them to the playoffs. Uh, this is a team that is very undermanned, may have one of the worst wide receiver rooms in all of football. And he made Daniel Jones look like a quarterback they can build around. And, you know, hats off to him. The Eagles... This is the whole point of the 
getting the first round by and rust versus rest factor. And the Eagles used the bye week for rest and Mitch. They came out on a mission, absolute mission, scoring at will, putting the game away in the first half. There was not one time when that game went to halftime. I thought the Giants had any chance to get back in that game. Jalen Hurts looked good, even though all week he was, is he healthy? How's the shoulder? Is he going to run? Yada, yada, yada. Well, Jalen Hurts looked healthy. The Eagles looked good. And number one seeds on both sides in the, in their respective conference championship games. Yeah. I did a segment last podcast where I kind of mentioned some of my, uh, my prefer, well, it was a ranking from CBS sports on all the potential Super Bowl matchups between the remaining teams, which will obviously go down this week. I mean, I kind of mentioned some ones out there. Uh, Bengals 49ers was one that I could potentially want to see um, the chiefs and, uh, the 49ers again, might, it was like, that was the number one one. And I was like, okay, but they've already played each other. Um, but Eagles and chiefs could be one versus one would be very fascinating. I think that would be the one where it's like, okay, these are and, number one versus number one. And that all the Kelsey brothers both have one Super Bowl. I forgot about that. I didn't bring Who's that up. In breaking the, rights? But or, this week I was thinking about that. I'm like, I, I came across their, their podcast on TikTok, And it's one of the segments and I went, Oh yeah, both of their guys' teams are in it. Yeah, that would be fascinating. I'm a huge fan of the parents that have kids playing. They have to wear the split jersey. So I would be. I think that'd be so cool to see the Kelsey parents having a half chief, half Eagles. I know the St. Brown parents, obviously. Yeah. Amon Ra in Detroit and Equinemius in Chicago. They did that at games this year. I love it. So that would be a cool storyline because I think there are three potential matchups in the Super Bowl with three very good storylines, and that is definitely one of them. How does that podcast open? Like, let's say they, the two teams win this week. How does that open and how do they address that conversation? I will leave it to, to those guys to actually have their show if they do make it. But um, yeah, but uh, all right, let's get it over with. For the 28th consecutive season, one of the two NFC championship squads will not be the Dallas Cowboys as they fell to the San Francisco 49ers 19 to 12. Mitch, I know you want to bring up the last play. But before you do, I just want to say that was not as bad as last year's ending. I don't think it's anywhere close to last year's bad ending. No, I can agree with that. I'll 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 be tame. I'll agree did, with that. Did you last see year. did you see Pat McAfee, by the way, try to try to gaslight his entire audience into thinking that play was worse than uh his Colts one back in whatever it was, twenty eleven? I did. And I give, I give him, come on, man. Cause he just wants to get off the, get off of being the worst play that's happened. But if he, if he um, wasn't on the field, I would get it with him, but cause it's like, Oh, but it's the fact that he was on the field. It's like guy guy. Yeah. You messed up. Well, somebody messed up. I do respect it too, but yeah, go ahead about Dallas. Just not being able to get it done. Dak playing not as well. Who knows what's going to happen now. Dak's a fraud. Mike McCarthy's a fraud and the Cowboys are who we thought they were 28 straight years. You said now, uh, I mean, I Mitch, believe this, so. This is the all time leader in this is our year with it, not being their year since the year 1997 when I was born um, because they're never going to get there and I'm not going to make it personal. I just don't see a way the Cowboys will ever get there as Jerry Jones being owner and general manager. Um, I think he loves the control. There's nothing wrong with that. You're the owner. It's your business. You do what you want. I just think that there comes a time where you have to finally look yourself in the mirror and say, I am literally the only constant here of why we have not gotten to the Super Bowl." And I'm not shocked. I, I have never had faith in the Cowboys. They always do this every year. Um, I like Dak as a person. I just have never agreed that he's a top 10 quarterback. I tend to think he's overpaid. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, Mitch, there's a lot of hate out there towards him saying, you know, he's washed. He is. 
the average lifespan of an NFL player to begin with is three and a half years, I believe, three and a half to four years, and a running back is even shorter. What yeah. Zeke has accomplished in his time at Dallas is very, very, very good. I agree. Potential Hall of Fame. And, I mean, it's what? He came into the league in the 2015 draft? I, I, think, he's, draft? I think he's in the same class as, like, a Todd Gurley. Like, he was really, really good for a short spurt, and then it's like, yeah, he didn't play, he didn't play long enough. But I, I still will remember him as a good yeah. – NFL it, running back, but it's to, it's Tony Pollard's team now. And then Pollard has to deal with this right. potentially big injury this offseason. And that played a major factor. I'm not going to downplay it at all. I think Pollard yeah. being hurt played yeah. a major factor. Um, he takes a completely different element of the game. He's a far better receiving back than Ezekiel Elliott. He's at more of an elusive back where Zeke is bigger and can run through you. I think that that played an element, but um, somebody like Trayvon Diggs, Mitch, who I've never been high on because I know last year he led the league in interceptions, but he also hmm. uh, set the record for most yards given up by a defensive back in NFL history. Okay. Uh, once once again, had two blunders. The catch that Travis Kelsey made where Diggs could have potentially hit him and knocked the ball loose for no Travis catch. Kelsey? I'm sorry, George Kittle. Yeah, that's yeah, all right. So so similar. Um, he could have knocked Kittle, you know, the ball loose, completely whiffed, and then dropped an interception. Um, yeah. I've never been a fan of him. People seem to love him. I just don't think he's necessarily a good mm. defensive back. Gets burned a lot, but... Micah Parsons, first off, based off what we saw in the NFC Championship game, uh, Nick Bosa did not have a sack. Micah Parsons was present. I think it's one of those two for Defensive Player of the Year. I can't wait to see who wins it because I think both are very deserving. Uh, Parsons is as good as advertised. I won't downplay that, but um, there's a reason I'm going to keep hating on the Cowboys, and I will never, ever, 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 ever pick them to win the NFC, let alone win the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's got it's gotten to a point where nobody except their own fans now will take them to win in a prediction battle. But it just, at this point, I'm kind of like, all right, can we just can they win? I'm like, I'm kind of like, can they win one just to get people off of their backs? Because this is, again, in a salary cap league, you are the highest, uh, most expensive franchise in professional sports. The notoriety of the Dallas Cowboys isn't quite there like it used to be. Um People have really, really grown tired of the America's team moniker. You could get away with that when you're winning in this way, yeah. but you can't do it when you're doing it for three decades, nearly three decades. Um, and if they, I, I think what they need, the thing they need to, need to do is they get, need to get another receiver along with your, the likes of Michael Gallup um, and CD lamb. And then after that, it's T Y Hilton. Which, I mean, it, that's another tricky situation. Dalton Schultz. I mean, I always a tight end, but it's just some of the things he was doing at the end of that game were frustrating me. I think somebody like an Amari Cooper would go really well with that team in the wide receiver room. You would think uh, you would think it's almost like they had somebody like Amari Cooper and then traded him away for a fifth round pick, but he would probably would have been useful, but at the same time, thank you, Dallas. I'm very happy to have Amari Cooper on the Browns. I, I'm I, I like having him too, as a number one. I mean, he wanted to be a number one too. You need right. a guy who you need a number two receiver right now. You need a number two uh, for CD to work with, but, uh, and, and for press and to take less pressure off of press, take more pressure off Prescott who, just had a bit of a tough stretch when he came back from the thumb injury is by far his worst season when it came to turnovers, 15 interceptions, which led the league. So if you can spread out the receivers, maybe give him a few more options. I could see him having a rebound season, maybe get another guy at linebacker or corner alongside Parsons and uh, Trayvon Diggs, as you mentioned, and try to boost that offensive line. If you can, I think Tyron Smith is one of the top offensive linemen of this era, but, but he's missed some time in the last three years. I think Tyler Smith, who's had a very good, who had a very good rookie season this year, could be the guy to kind of 
fill in those shoes, but I think you also probably need to go back to the draft this year and find somebody that can bolster protection because San Francisco a number of times is getting too Dak and it was just kind of throwing the Cowboys offense off. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I also think that they're going to try to go find a person much like the Browns have done the past few years to go opposite of Parsons. Mm-hmm. As crazy as this sounds, uh, I'm going to call my shot. I'm not going to be surprised if it's Jadavion Clowney that goes back to Texas and goes to the Dallas Cowboys. Someone like that, that you know what, you know, he's all about trying to win right now. Also make it about him. Um, at the same time, though, he did not like being Miles Garrett sidekick. Right. So maybe he doesn't do that. But <sighs> somebody like that is somebody I think the Cowboys will go after Mitch. And who knows? I, I think what's going to happen here is you could see something like maybe they move off from Zeke, whether it's a trade, whether they cut him, and yeah. take the cabinet because they're going to have to free that money somehow. And that's the issue of paying quarterbacks this much money and why you generally see teams windows for the most part be when a quarterback is on a rookie contract. Would it be viable for Dallas to try and attempt a trade to Buffalo of Ezekiel Elliott? So Buffalo can maybe get a running back or is that still not an option for Buffalo? Cause Zeke isn't as fresh as he used to be. I think Zeke would be perfect for what they're looking for because you look at James Cook and Buffalo. I think he is almost like Tony Pollard, not as good, but the similar type of thunder and lightning. I don't think Buffalo makes that trade, Mitch, because the running back market this offseason, there's so many running backs in the market. Um, I look at somebody like Kareem Hunt. I yeah. think Kareem Hunt would be the perfect fit in Buffalo. Not only does he run, but he can catch the ball extraordinarily, uh, extraordinarily well for running back out of the backfield. Um, I mean, you have plenty of other backs that are free agents this year. It's an in, I, I don't mind that at all. Just interesting to see what happens because is Zeke in every down back anymore? No, no, but could he use a change of scenery? Could he use a different offense? Possibly. Cause I, I still so. think he's a back that can contribute at a high level. I agree with that. And I think we'll get into more of that conversation in the next segment, but for now we'll take a break. We come back. We'll be going over our predictions for the NFC and AFC title games. We'll also go over some of the awards uh, nominees for the NFL awards coming up, NFL honors coming up soon. We'll be back right after this. The Furby Electric Supply Company has bright ideas for your home. Save money by converting to energy-efficient electrical products or add ambiance with beautiful lighting features. It begins with a professional consultation and a visit to the Furby Lighting Showroom. Then certified Furby contractors complete your project right and on time. Since 1934, four generations have built a reputation of quality and trust, and they offer emergency services too. Just visit Furby.com. That's F-U-R-B-A-Y. The Furby Electric Supply Company. You asked for it and we listened. Buckeye Career Center is now offering certified nail technician as an adult education program. This 216-hour course begins in November and will run Tuesday through Thursday evenings from 5 to 9 p.m. Learn manicures, pedicures, infection control, salon operations, and more. Other part-time certification courses starting this fall include phlebotomy and welding. Call 330-339-2288 to register or visit BuckeyeCareerCenter.org for more information. If you're looking for a new or pre-owned car or truck, why not see the Parkway Auto Group? Parkway is a special group of automotive experts with eight brands to satisfy your needs. Come see the difference at the Parkway Auto Group on Commercial Parkway in Dover. Eight brands and one family. It's Parkway Auto Group. 
Fall is in the air and part-time career enhancement courses at Buckeye Career Center are on the horizon. Registration is now open for introduction to beekeeping, basic small engine repair, and sign language. These part-time offerings run on Tuesday evenings and begin in November. Let Buckeye Career Center help you learn a new skill or advance your current skill set. Call 330-339-2288 for more information or to reserve your seat in one of these or our other part-time classes. matter everyone plays a part we all have a role each of us can make a difference you do matter and the best way to have a positive impact is to pay it forward with each of us helping one another to cope feel better and know that we belong pass on the positivity today tell someone else they matter too i'll care i'll care i'll care We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world, get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. And welcome you back to the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. Mitch Spinell and Mitchell Bally here. Mitch, I mean, right now we're going to give our uh, predictions for the AFC and NFC title games. Before we do that, um, I had a com- I had a conversation with somebody the other night regarding the AFC championship that never was between Buffalo and Kansas City. That game was going to, if it had happened, be scheduled in Atlanta for a neutral site game because of what happened a few weeks ago. My friend did not believe that the NFL wanted to use that sort of game as a litmus test to determine if neutral site conference championship games could be the way of the future. I said it was because in all likelihood, the NFL probably wanted to turn those sorts of games into miniature versions of the Super Bowl and create business that would directly flow the money to them instead of the usual home sites for the conference title games and and for home playoff games in general. Kind of give me your thoughts on that. I mean, I saw you do a little bit of a a reaction there as I was saying it, but um, I mean, what was your take on a neutral site AFC title game if that would have been the case? I'm the fist pump was because I'm glad you brought this up because I think this is a very interesting topic because it is very relevant right now, even though Buffalo didn't win Um, the neutral site game this year, I think made sense given the circumstances of what happened. I think you and I can both agree with that. When it comes to this being a test run to see if it was successful to eventually move both conference championship games to neutral sites. And then the Super Bowl. I absolutely hate it. I think it's stupid and I don't understand why. Well, I understand why to a certain degree, but first, I think it's stupid. Why, what is the importance of having home field advantage in the playoffs then to get through the first two rounds? Really just one round if you're the number one seed and get a bye. I I don't understand the importance you emphasize on getting the one seed to not only receive the first round bye, but also have home field advantage because Mitch, Patrick Mahomes has never won a road playoff game. He has been fortunate enough to be on the best team in the AFC or the second best team in the AFC now for four or five straight years. And we always hear you don't win at Arrowhead. Well, the Bengals debunked that last year, but the bills made a major effort this year to try to get the number one seed because they did not want to go back to Kansas city where their season had ended two consecutive years. I hate it 
off the sheer fact that what is the importance of home field advantage then? And I also hate it because I know if it ever goes into effect, it'll somehow be the year that Cleveland Browns, the number one seed, it would have home field advantage in the playoffs and they would go to a damn neutral site game. And it just infuriates me because that's so Cleveland. You know it. I know it. Any fan out there that knows the whole only in Cleveland saying knows that is exactly what would happen. I also think that the NFL would try to do it. And I still think it's a possibility. They try to do it for a year or two as an effort to get owners to upgrade their stadiums and put domes on all the stadiums. And as crazy as that sounds, and as much as I'm a, I love the weather games. Cause Mitch, I don't know about you. I loved watching Cincinnati and Buffalo playing the snow. I think that is a perfect thing about football. I think playing football in the snow, obviously we both grew up here in Ohio. We see snow, you know, four or five months of the year, give or take. I just love seeing football played like that. But I think the NFL doing that and saying owners, well, if you want to go back to home field advantage, you need to build a dome for X, Y, and Z is also an intriguing storyline because I think that you're at the point now where you're starting to see teams, our team included, and Jimmy Haslam, owner of the Cleveland Browns, start to talk to the city about expanding the stadium, moving, whether you want to say yes or no, just to a right down the road, but putting a dome in there. And I think it's smart to a degree because as an owner of the NFL team, like Cleveland, when your team is not playing, now this year in 2023 will be the first time it's different, there is nothing going on at First Energy Stadium. You are losing valuable opportunities to make money and capitalize not only off your venue, but also the Browns team shop is in there. So if you do have things going on, people can come in and buy your merchandise. Now, this year's different. We have the face-off on the lake, Ohio State-Michigan hockey game being played in February, which is that's the first thing we've seen. But the only other time that we see First Energy Stadium used outside of Cleveland Browns football games, we've seen a couple of high school football games played there. We've seen soccer games with the U.S. men's national team. And we've seen concerts there. And I also believe a monster truck, whatever, was there once or a few times. Yeah. I think that's an interesting way to look at it because I could see the NFL doing that. I hate it though, because if this is just to do it, to do it, and it's not a factor of making owners buy or build domes, I hate it because you lose the meaning of having home field advantage. Well, yeah, the neutral site thing, I wasn't as particularly big a fan of, mainly because it does, it, while it gives an advantage to the lower seeds to potentially have it on a neutral site, it takes away from the teams that have worked their way into beginning that one seat. So it's like, what's the point of getting it anymore? Now, in terms of the turning the stadiums into domes thing, when it comes to Cleveland, I'm sort of on the fence of it, mainly maybe leaning towards potentially saying yes to the idea of an enclosed stadium because of the business opportunities that you can make in the wintertime if you're in a if you're the Browns and you have a dome. The Cavaliers, uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, already houses a number of events all year yeah. round. When it comes to the concerts and the other shows that you mentioned, a lot of that stuff's being done probably in the late spring to early fall. You're not going to get like a Taylor Swift concert in the middle of January out there. But... Uh, and, I, and I'm kind of when I heard so I saw people wax so much poetic on Twitter the other day about how all oh, like all oh, this Bills Bengals game. Imagine if this game was in a dome. I'm like, yeah, everybody we be nice and heated inside. They'd be dry. They wouldn't have to bring in two coats. They wouldn't have to do this whole thing. And that's for I think that should be reserved for cities that have tradition, those sort of traditional conditions. Mm-hmm. And they're known for it. like if you put a dome in Green Bay, that wouldn't look right. Right, based on tradition. If you put a if you put a dome in Buffalo, you could say the same thing. I think Chicago. the difference. 
Chicago is another one too. Although, I mean, Soldier Field's gotten a facelift and then they're eventually going to move near the horse track. What I think is different about Cleveland is that you don't really have a lot of great tradition when it comes to the sort of cold weather games you've had in the past. I mean, I'm sure the Browns fans can name me five different games where it was ice cold on that day and the Browns ended up playing. Most of the Browns notable cold games, losses. And their best cold win that I can think of at the top of my head, that eight nothing game they played against the Bills in 2007, where it was snowing like hell. Yep. Um, so yeah, I I don't necessarily think the Browns have a great association when it comes to cold weather games. You don't have that ice bowl. You don't have um, whatever ones that else that come to mind. But I think it's it's a it's a discussion that you could have. But I'm not for making every single stadium a dome. I am I I was intrigued though, however, by the financial aspects the NFL could have taken advantage of had they gotten this opportunity. You could have had naming rights on the games, which, you know, everybody gets tired of, but they could have done that. You could have had cities bidding for neutral site games to prove that uh, not only could they host those events, maybe later down the line, they could host a Super Bowl. What if Cleveland got a Super Bowl with a dome later down the line? And the NFL could directly take the profits from selling suites and tickets to these neutral site games instead of the home team just taking their cut. Right. I completely agree with that too. And just outside of football, look at, places that have domes Indianapolis. I was there in 2020 March madness was played there. Yes. I understand it was the bubble, but that was the host site for the final four. Mm -hmm. If there was never a pandemic, new Orleans final four has been hosted there. I mean, you can, the, the possibilities are endless. And I think for Cleveland, not only being able to host a final four tournament in Cleveland, but to eventually host the super bowl. I mean, Mitch Indianapolis has hosted multiple super bowls, Arizona. Yes. You've seen it in Miami with open, you know, open stadiums, but they've played a Super Bowl in New York also. Yeah. That, that, now, I'm not that's because it's, that's it's New York City. Exactly. If, this was, if this was Minneapolis, it wouldn't work. And well, I think that's why it's – well, Minneapolis, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah I, I was going to say. If it was, but, it was University of Minnesota Stadium, it wouldn't yes. work. But the other thing I think that the NFL would do to get – for their sake as a business sake, right, and entertainment sake, they would believe putting teams in domes would make for better football in terms of fireworks, right? Both teams would be on even playing surfaces. You wouldn't have to worry about the rain, the snow, the cold, the wind, altering kicks and all ultimately altering hands of the wide receivers or quarterbacks. And I get the people that love watching teams and, and like the game last year in Kansas city, Mitch, the chiefs and bills, a shootout back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. You would probably get to see that a little more often, but on the flip side as boring as it can be at sometimes. I don't mind the games that are slugfest. Who can yeah. win the trenches? And I get comes it. Down to at the end of the game, I think that I I think there's more negatives in my opinion. If the NFL just did this strictly for their sake, positives that they're trying to get owners to build domes in the cold weather cities. I'm torn here in Cleveland. I think Cleveland, obviously, growing up here in Ohio, we see football played in the cold. I think it's tradition. To your point, though, the Browns right now aren't very good when it comes to tradition and playing in cold. We just saw it this year when a dome team came here. We've seen it in years past with the Raiders coming here from Vegas and beating us at our own game in the cold and, and ugly weather. It's a topic I'll be interested to see what happens at the owners' meetings after the season is over and see how it progresses. I'm just happy it's not happening for everybody involved. This year would have been different, obviously, with the Bills and Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, I think it's better for the sake of it if we just kind of maybe later down the line we can test it out again. But for right now, I'm okay if we don't have that uh, that proof. Um, we've taken a lot of time on this one. So now let's just go over to the picks. AFC championship game, Bengals versus Chiefs. I'm gonna start it off. I'm taking Bengals. I'm taking yeah, Bengals. I'm, I'm you take them too? I'm taking the Bengals too. 
All right. And what, what is the, what is the main factor that gives you the edge for Cincinnati over Kansas city? I think Mahomes' health plays a major factor. I also think that the confidence that I alluded to in the last segment plays a major factor too. This Bengals team is as hot as anybody in the, the league right now. And they showed that they, they, they can go there and do it. They did it last year. And ultimately they did it last year against a healthy Mahomes with Tyree kill, which by the way, did you know Tyree kills not on the chiefs anymore? They only say it about 10 times on a broadcast. Um, I, I just think the Bengals are hot. I love the way Joe Burrow plays. I love his confidence, his swagger, cockiness. Sure. If you want to say that, but to me, this is a team that wants to avenge their loss in the Super Bowl last year. And I don't want to say I'll be stunned, but I think I would be a little bit stunned if the chiefs just strictly outplay the Bengals and beat them this weekend. Yeah. That three and O really is, is a, is a very interesting number to look at. And if Kansas city can break that streak here, this coming Sunday, I would consider that a very monumental achievement, but I think Cincinnati will outlast them. And I think Cincinnati will go back to the Super Bowl. Now it's who they will face. That's very interesting because I think anything can happen in this one, Philadelphia versus San Francisco and San Francisco. Very, very good team this year. Excellent team. They've been done doing a lot of good things. There's just one team that's been doing better than them. And that's Philadelphia this year. And Philadelphia looked much more dominant against the giants than the Niners did against the Cowboys. Um, and this is one which Mitch, where we, where despite him winning this week, and despite everything that this man has done this year, it has been amazing for his story and for this team. I wonder if this is the week where Brock Purdy gets his first dose of NFL reality because Philadelphia's defense is so freaking good. I believe they're only two sacks short of the NFL record for a season. And what's, what's really crazy, Mitch, is you talk about defense, right? Niners defense, best in the NFL, statistically speaking, in certain categories. The Cowboys defense this year up there and the Eagles defense. We are talking about three of the best defenses were left out of the four teams, the NFC. But to your point on Brock Purdy, Eagles are two and a half point favorites at home. Mm-hmm. Usually the home team always gets three. I think the Niners defense is better than the Eagles defense. I know that you mentioned the sack record. I just think all the way around how they played this year, the Niners defense is better. We're going to see an element that Brock Purdy has not yet seen. A road game in the regular season is one thing, Mitch. A road game in the playoff game is another level. And a road game to get to the Super Bowl in a city like Philadelphia is a whole new element that you cannot prepare for. I do think the Eagles win this week. I'm going to take the Eagles this week. Um, I won't be shocked if the Niners win because I think they have the defense to stop Philadelphia. But I also think the Eagles have the defense to stop Mr. Irrelevant, who is now Mr. Relevant in his first true hostile environment in a winner go home game. Mitch, if the Niners do win, regardless of what would happen in a potential Super Bowl for the 49ers, we are going to have a long offseason discussion about the 49ers quarterback situation. But I think that can wait for another show. We will. We will. We definitely will get to there. But you're taking uh, which team again? I missed that. Philly. Taking Philly? Yeah, I think I think we have to stick we have to stick together this week. I'm taking Philadelphia because I also think that the offensive line for Philadelphia will do a slightly better job of protecting Jalen Hurts, who can also run around a little bit better than um, uh, Brock Purdy can. So we'll, I, I think Philadelphia will outlast them. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but it's going to be relatively close. And then we'll get a Eagles and Bengals Super Bowl, which I mean that's that's kind of an interesting one, so to say. But uh, it, it's one of those ones where I don't know if anybody. When you think about like the 
the storylines potentially for for these matchups. Like a 49ers Bengals Super Bowl has history. They played against each other before. Niners and Chiefs played each other a few years ago. Uh, the other games as well. Chiefs and or, uh, Eagles and Bengals. It's like, oh okay. Yeah. It's like those two teams really don't face off against each other very often. You have two young coaches, I guess. You have two up and coming quarterbacks. Um, you have some very top notch receivers. Uh, yeah, one I, fan I, base that's crazy. The other ones has just been kind of long suffering. I well, I guess both have been long suffering to an extent. But Philly got their taste a few years ago. So I don't know. It, it, it's just one of those ones. In terms of storylines, Mitch, I think that we already talked about the Chiefs and and Eagles, right? The Kelsey brothers. I think that's one right there. That's just a, a cool storyline. May not be the headline, a cool storyline. You look at the Chiefs versus the Niners, like you mentioned, a rematch of the 2020 Super Bowl that I think would be very interesting. And, you know, can Mr. Irrelevant do it? Could Brock Purdy lead them to a Super Bowl win? That's an interesting storyline. Yeah, I, I think. I think it would be amazing if they, they if that were able to happen. A Mr. A Mr. Irrelevant in his first year. If this has been like a journeyman guy and he's yeah. doing it, that's one thing. But for a guy to come in midseason and do this, that'd be like the greatest turnaround story in history. Oh, no doubt. Especially because I think a lot of us wrote the Niners off once Jimmy G went down. Also reported that Jimmy G would be possibly available for a Super Bowl. Now, I don't know why. That's, that's interesting. Because I don't know. If he wouldn't play. They wouldn't start him, obviously. No. But you look at the Eagles and the Bengals. I think you're talking about potentially two of the top faces in the NFL in terms of quarterback play. Obviously, we know Mahomes is going to be there regardless of what happens, but Burrow versus Hurts. Hurts really had an argument for an MVP season before the last few weeks when he got hurt. That'd be fun. To me, the Bengals versus Niners is almost the most boring Super Bowl Mm. storyline. I know they have history, but to me, that's just out of the four possible matchups, that to me would be the most boring one. I also think the Eagles versus Bengals, Mitch, would showcase two of the top wide receiver slash offensive weapon rooms in all of football. When you look at the, I think the Bengals have the best wide receiver room in football. I think the Eagles have two number one wide receivers. They have Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders. To me, that is AJ. Yeah. AJ Brown and Devontae Smith out there. It's like, to me, that could be a game that could offer the most fireworks. Obviously the Eagles defense better than Cincinnati's, but we're going to wait and see. We're going to get a storyline either way. I'm excited. Um, And We'll have to see if we're going to get the Eagles Bengals Super Bowl that you and I think we're going to get. Well, really quickly, uh, we have a number of those players that are and coaches that are up for the NFL honors, which were released today. The nominees uh, we will go through them real quick. Assistant coach of the year. I didn't realize we were starting to do that. Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen, 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans and Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. That's that's an interesting one. I think Ryans would probably take it, uh, especially as he's yeah. been getting some traction from uh, the uh, potential head coaching uh, positions for certain teams. So we both agree there. Coach of the year. It's between Buffalo, Sean McDermott, Philadelphia's Nick Sirianni, San Francisco's Kyle Shanahan, New York's Brian Dable, and Jacksonville's Doug Peterson. I think it's a three-man race between Sirianni, Dable, and Peterson. I know you mentioned you would probably pick Brian Dable. I I think Doug Peterson might take it for me because this is also a a very similar Jacksonville roster that couldn't get it done the year before. It was one of the worst teams in the league. And not only do you get this team to the postseason, you have to – you have to win out the rest of the regular season, get a big victory against Tennessee, two big victories against them, and end up, I guess, the playoffs don't really count. But then adding on a, a comeback playoff win, like that one against the Chargers, that would take it in my book. I don't necessarily think what the voter, I don't necessarily know what the voters would choose, but that would be mine if Doug Peterson could do what he did. For those are the two, I think those are the top two candidates in all due respect, Mitch. I think, to me, I, I would take Dable strictly off the fact of, 
we knew Lawrence was number one pick. We knew the expectations upon him versus Daniel Jones. Pretty much. They didn't pick up his fifth year option. Oh, it's a wasted year. They're going to get yeah. rid of him. And Dable took what some people are saying in the media is trash and turned it to somewhat treasure making the playoffs. Right. I think it's one of those two though. I, I just don't, obviously it is a way a regular season award. Um, I don't think you can really go wrong with each, but I do. We have that slight difference where I think I would take Dable over Peterson, but I would be stunned if it's not either one of those. What else we got here? Uh, comeback player of the year, uh, Christian McCaffrey for San Francisco, uh, Saquon Barkley for New York, and then the actual winner will be Geno Smith for the Seahawks. I, I, I think, think those so. two those two did great, but they came back from injury. Geno came back from nearly losing his entire career, and I think he'll take the honor. But uh, those two those two deserve their props as well. Uh, defensive Player of the Year, one of my guys. I mentioned it, Micah Parsons, in our yep. pregame or our preseason show. 49ers defensive end Nick Boza, also a good one. Chris defensive tackle Chris Jones, not Miles Garrett, even though he uh, missed a number of games this year, Mitch. 16 sacks on the season was was nothing to scratch at, but uh, they put Chris Jones in there. Yeah, and listen, he is a force to be reckoned with. We're going to see him this Sunday uh, for Kansas City, but I, it to me, it's a toss-up between Bosa and uh, Parsons really I don't know if you can really go wrong with either one I'm sure obviously those fan bases will say you can go wrong which is fitting but for us having no bias here I think I would I, I really don't know I don't know which way I'd lean I don't oh I don't Par- yeah yeah I, I would think I'm leaning Parsons but yeah at the same time Bosa had a phenomenal year too I don't he think did. You can go wrong with either he did. one of those he did I think Parsons uh I don't know. It's a tough one, especially with the way that he has to operate compared to defensive and Boza, where he just rushes towards the quarterbacks. Parsons has to cover a lot of the rest of the field. Uh, And this one's funny too, because offensive player of the year is basically the same thing as MVP, except for uh, I believe one guy, no two guys, excuse me. Uh, Yeah. Patrick Mahomes for the chiefs Eagles quarterback, Jalen hurts dolphins, wide receiver, Tariq Hill and Vikings receiver, Justin Jefferson. This feels like it's the second place MVP, if that makes sense, because A lot of these guys had great seasons, and it gives the opportunity for guys who aren't typically quarterbacks to get this honor. Um, it, it's it's probably between Mahomes and Hurts. I would maybe make the argument that Justin Jefferson, with some of the plays that he was able to make this year, could make an argument, but it's probably between the two QBs. Wow, Mitch, I am on the opposite side of you. I think this is a no-brainer. I, I fully expect Justin Jefferson to win Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, the, the numbers he put up this year – what he did in Minnesota, also having a highlight catch. I think when you think about awards, specifically the Heisman, you think of the Heisman winner, they always have one signature highlight. Well, we know what the signature highlight was for Jefferson, the one-handed catch in Buffalo. Um, MVP is typically given to a quarterback, Mitch, because they do handle the ball on every single snap. I don't always necessarily agree with that. I understand why. To me, I think you can make the case that Justin Jefferson is the most valuable player in football this year because without him, I don't know if the Vikings would have even won their division. Um, To me, though, it's a no-brainer. I think Jefferson is the offensive player of the year. Well, he is one of the MVP candidates, so that might be a telltale sign there. And you also have Hurts, Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen as most valuable player as well. I mean, if everybody was giving it right now, with postseason included, it would be Burrow or Mahomes, but... um, I think it's going to be between Mahomes and Hertz uh, yeah. and it's probably Patrick just because he is the overall, probably the best. I mean, it just kind of shows how when he gets injured, especially like this week, it's like, every, it's like everybody, even outside Kansas city takes pause 
It's like, yeah. wait, what's happening with this guy? Is he going to be able to play? Is he not going to be able to play? It's also amazing how he's able to recover from a lot of these injuries too. Like you'd have thought two years ago after he was wa- like wobbling off the field from that concussion, like he couldn't remember his own name. And then he played a week later. And then this one, like you mentioned high ankle sprain. I don't know if his was as bad for a four to six week recovery, but it's amazing that it's like, ah, no, I'm going to play. Ah, there's no problem. But uh, I think it's Mahomes. I think it's Mahomes too. I think that Hertz did have that little stretch at the end of the year once he banged that shoulder up where he wasn't as elite as he was the entire season. Um, I also think it's going to be between those two because they were both their best team in their respective conferences, both the number one seed in AFC, NFC. Uh, but to me, Mahomes was more consistent all the way through from week one through week 18. I expect it to be him. All right. So we'll go into the final segment here in just a few minutes after these brief messages. Hey there, folks, this is Mitch Spinell, and I want to give you guys a quick message regarding 988. If you don't know what 988 is, it was created to make it easier to remember how to get help in the event of a mental health or addiction crisis. This is different than a medical fire or police emergency where 911 should still be called immediately. 988 connects you with Stark County's Crisis Center, which is equipped to help people in emotional distress or experience a mental health or addiction crisis. So remember, 911 for medical, fire, and police emergency help, and 988 for support in overcoming a mental health crisis in Stark County. It takes a lot of practice to have a winning team. Alban Title has over 100 years of combined experience handling real estate, title, and escrow transactions. They serve Tuscarawas, Stark, Carroll, Harrison Counties, and more. So choose Alban Title for your next home refinance, sale, or purchase. They'll get it done quickly and professionally. Contact Alban Title at 330-334-5800 or visit their website, albantitle.com. Let them put their experience to work for you. Hard work is something you're accustomed to. Van Nostrand Young understands that principle. Our access is achieved with organizations like Grange Insurance, Safety and prevention specialists utilize our VanCan assessments process to ensure that you and your colleagues are in the best hands. You want the safest environment for your business, and we can guide you there. Call Van Nostra Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-497-1867. If you're purchasing a new home, the team at Hartzler's Quality Housing is here to help. Take advantage of record low interest rates to make your new home a reality. Locally owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's Quality Housing has the experience to guide you through the process. You'll find a wide selection of model homes on site to fit any budget. Open six days a week just off I-77. You can also visit them online at Hartzler's.com. Hartzler's Quality Housing. Quality from start to finish. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet Buick Cadillac Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. Think Ferris. Wendy's without the Wendy's app is like nugs without the sauce. (gasps) Or a Frosty without the fries. (gasps) Or a hamburger without the fresh beef. No! Level eight. Get the app to order ahead, order delivery, earn free food, and get app-exclusive offers. One app, all the Wendy's. 
Offer for a limited time at participating Wendy's. Terms apply. App registration required. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast show, Mitch Bunnell and Mitchell Bala. Mitch, you know, we talked about it a few podcast episodes ago, and it's one that I I was okay with. I don't think you're going to be the one to uh, necessarily agree with me, but there was revealed yesterday that the Baseball Hall of Fame officially has announced uh, their ballot for 2023. It is one candidate and one candidate only, Scott Rowland, getting off on the 75-plus percent ballot. He was uh, 76.3 percent voted in from a class that we kind of talked about was kind of an offshoot from all those uh, uh, rejected steroid-era names and a couple other guys there as well. But, uh, you know, you mentioned you didn't really think Scott Rowland should have gotten in, but what are your thoughts now that he is getting in? I, I good for him first off good for him I'm not going to sit here and say I'm not happy for him I think it's awesome when you get in he did just get over the threshold to be inducted um, I just think it's w- without taking it out on him I just think it's a, a travesty to baseball um, actually what's funny is Mitch I I know you're probably aware and to those out there there's an app called time hop and what it does is you sync your social media pages to it and you can see what you posted on that social media page x numbers a year ago today okay. and what's funny is Looking at my time hop today, Mitch, I went off on a rant on Twitter last year Oh, because of the same exact things. Barry Bonds was left off the ballot. Um, to me, it's just, it's a travesty for a place that says their goal is to preserve the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. And without going into a huge rant here, you cannot preserve the history of baseball and things that have happened that everybody that plays the game acknowledges without having the best players of all time, whether they did steroids or gambled on themselves or not, you're missing the all-time hits leader. You're missing the all-time home run leader. Um, and to me, it is just, it doesn't make sense. Um, good for Scott Rowland. I personally don't think he's a hall of famer. I think he's a very, very, very good player. I just don't, when you think of baseball to me, a hall of fame is a player of excellence. To me, he was never an excellent player top of the game at his position, let alone best player in baseball. Like Mike Trout is right now. Um, I just, I continue to get frustrated and there's no reason for me to even keep going because nothing's going to change until the hall of fame acknowledges and puts in the best players in there and just accounts for baseball and feelings are aside and, and allegations, whether they have been proven true or not aside, I'm never going to be happy with the baseball hall of fame. Well, I, I see, I disagree with you saying that he wasn't the best among his position. This guy won eight gold gloves around third base, was a seven-time All-Star, was a rookie of the year. The, he was definitely one of the best fielders of his era, one of the best in the hot corner. And when it came to the bat, the guy could step up at a number of times. He had 2,000 career hits, over 1,200 RBIs, and was a part of a World Series uh, champion St. Louis Cardinals teams in 2006, I believe, he was the guy who hit the winning, the go-ahead home run in that game seven of the NLCS over the New York Mets. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think this is a guy that it's definitely odd that when he, when he went in on his first ballot in 2018, he was, he was voted in 10.2%. That is the lowest first-year percentage for any player that's gotten in. You guys like Tim Raines. Larry Walker, even uh, Harold Baines have have at least started off decently on the ballot compared to him, but he's in. There's a number of players also on that list that I could maybe pull up here that did not get uh, the the nomination. Also, by the way, I should mention, this is the 
the main player off of the main ballot because Fred McGriff is also getting into the Hall of Fame as well. And I know some people had their thoughts in on that too, but uh, Roland gets in. Todd Helton finishes just short, 72.2%, 11 votes short of induction. I would argue he might have had the best overall case, and that includes Roland. But um, I think he'll at least get in next year. I think he has like four years left, five years left, excuse me. Um, Billy Wagner didn't also fell short. Wagner has two years left. He might get a chance. The Andrew Jones one is interesting because I saw a guy on Twitter say like, Andrew Jones should be in the Hall of Fame, and it's a disgrace that he isn't. I think he might have been the best at his position compared to what you said about Roland, but I don't think he had that long of success. It was from 96 to 2007, and then it just completely fell off. And the Gary Sheffield, get, give me a break with him. That's a 500 career home run uh, club member. That should be more than 55%. And I don't even know if I have any more years. And then you know Jeff Kent also off the ballot as well. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Sheffield thing. I came a little unprepared. I knew we were going to talk about Roland without going into this depth. Uh, there, There's an article out there. One of the voters voicing why he left him off the ballot. And it was personal reasons. Again, it's just, I know it's, it's why I have such an issue. And all I'm going to say, the last thing I'll say about this is to me, if your mission statement reads as follows, the hall of fame's mission is to preserve the sports history, mm. honor excellence within the game and make a connection between the generations of people who enjoy baseball you're failing at your mission if you're trying to connect generations and you're not going to acknowledge some of the all-time leaders at the respective time they played and at their position because you go to the Hall of Fame for football and basketball, you're going to see that. You go to the Hall of Fame for baseball, now you're not. Now, luckily, the internet exists, so you can always look up things like that, but to not have Barry Bonds, Pete Rose, and for Gary Sheffield to have that type of vote this year on the ballot is an insult, and I'm done. I mean, you look at the guys like Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez, who, uh, you know, were only on their second years on the ballot. And A-Rod got 35.7%. Ramirez at 33.2%. So I wonder if time will be a little more forgiving to them than they were for Bonds, Sosa, or Maguire. But it's going to be tricky because, I, I again, these guys had their had their moments in the headlines for not-so-great reasons, reasons that – went against these sport, but so many other, so many other people went before them that it just kind of feels like it's, it's unfortunate. And then Carlos Beltran, this is the guy that should have been in the seventies, at least 75% for his first year on the ballot, 46.5%. Uh, he was the only first timer on the ballot who even got 15% of the vote. Obviously the, the Astros cheating thing might hurt his candidacy. I mean, look at the, the names, that were on the first year ballots were just not Hall of Fame worthy. Unfortunately, John Lackey, Houston Street, uh, um, R.A. Dickey, Jeff Weaver, or Jared Weaver, I think, and Johnny Peralta is one of them too. And it's just it's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate that uh, when we when we see a few more of these longtime uh, guys retire here in the next couple of years, obviously Albert Pujols will be among uh, them as well. You also get Mike Trout and Bryce Harper eventually, but not for a few more seasons. That's when we kind of will make the turnaround, I think, and we'll get past. The, we're in this weird middle right now yep. where a lot of it is between the traditionalists of baseball who can't accept that a guy took uh, a performance enhancing drug to hit more home runs or to commit win more for his team. And we're also at some younger voters now who do take some stock in um, take more stock in somebody's pr public or private persona that they know about and 
use it, utilize it for their vote. I mean, you you have you have legitimate evil people in the Hall of Fame based on what based on the way people used to vote. It, 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 and look, you could probably say, well, the writers back then were just as emotional. That might be the case, but those guys who deserved it got in because they deserved it. So yeah. I don't know. It's just a it's just a weird situation that nobody that not, the other sports don't have this problem football doesn't have this thing basketball doesn't have uh this thing where you know a guy uh, uh, uh i mean obviously it's more than this but like oh a guy looked at me funny after i asked him a question so he doesn't get my vote it's obviously more than that it's obviously more than that but i don't know it's just a weird thing i gotta get off of this before we go into another hour-long discussion about it um the other thing that i want to talk about was you had an nba question for me regarding a certain player I do. I do. And it's before we get in to talk about our, our dearly beloved Cavs. Yeah. Last night, Mitch, history was made. LeBron James has now scored 40 plus points against every single team in the NBA. <sighs> Why that is relevant is because we are approaching history. Mm-hmm. LeBron James is just 144 points away from tying the all time scoring record, 145 points away from breaking the all-time scoring record that has been held for over 40 years by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And Mitch, quite frankly, was thought to be never even come close to being touched. Mm. LeBron James is going to end up being the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. LeBron James, Mitch, you and I both know, is a very strategic man. Whether that was ever on Twitter, whether that was ever in terms of his play on the court, we know that LeBron is a smart basketball player in terms of getting what he wants or having an agenda when it comes to basketball. With that being said, he dropped 46 last night against the Clippers. Lakers lost yet again. 145 points away would mean that LeBron James just needs to average 36.25 points per game to break the record within the next four games. Yeah. LeBron James is currently averaging 37 points during this span since he has turned 38 years old in December. Mitch, and we're going to find out soon because obviously we see athletes or NBA players, excuse me, you know, monitor their rest. The LA Lakers next four games to round out January. Tonight, they host the Spurs in LA. And then the Lakers go East for a five game road trip. Hmm. They go to Boston on Saturday night, 8.30 PM tip on ABC. They go to the Brooklyn Nets Monday, January 30th at 7.30 on NBA TV. And then on Tuesday, January 31st, Mitch, mm-hmm. the Los Angeles Lakers play the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden on TNT. Okay. Do you think LeBron James can keep this pace up? And do you think he has, to the best of his ability, tried to place this to where he could potentially break the all-time scoring record in Madison Square Garden, a court that he has had major success on? We know how much he thrives there in New York at Madison Square Garden. That is my first question. Do you think LeBron kind of looked at this from afar, knowing what he's needed to do because he's doing something we've never seen at this age, right? Yeah. I just read 37 points per game. I think he can average 36 over 36 the next four. Do you think he can? Uh, that's that's really hard to do, even with the pace that LeBron's been recently been on. The Garden one is interesting to me, although I don't know if that was the one that I didn't. That wasn't the one I expected you to ask of me. Because after that game, you have a February 2nd matchup against Indiana, February 4th against New Orleans, February 7th against Oklahoma. Three games in which, honestly, I think he could probably call load management on. 
But then you get to that Thursday, February 9th game where it's in LA against the Bucks, mm-hmm. Kareem's old team, Kareem's first team. Yep. It'd be in LA, Kareem, where Kareem played most of his career on the second chapter against a team he faced he played for for the first chapter. I want I, that's that's that'd be like everybody's dream scenario except for Kareem. Um, but I I would I would I would take more sock in that one than I would with the Knicks one because the Knicks one just kind of feels like yeah it's the Garden but you're really just kind of making it so that the Knicks are your your team that you scored the uh, breaking point on. I don't know if I look at it, the Knicks. I look at it the fact that everybody in basketball knows the Garden is the mecca of right. basketball, and also Kareem is from New York. Exactly. And to do it there on national TV, it's a nationally televised game, I think was something that I could see LeBron strategically playing out in his head. Now, for the sake of this argument, LeBron will break it this rec- this season if he just averaged 16 points per game the rest of the way, which right. I think it's pretty easy yeah. to say he will. The other part to it is I also believe LeBron loves storylines, right? So unless he goes ballistic and goes Kobe, 81 points per game in the next few. I thought, you know, looking at it early January, breaking it at Boston, the Lakers versus Celtics rivalry would have been awesome. Breaking it in Brooklyn in front of Kyrie and Katie would have been cool, but that's probably not realistically not going to happen. The Knicks one is a factor in terms of significance. He might just want to get it over with, but I don't see the significance in breaking it in Indiana or in New Orleans or against the Thunder. Breaking it in LA would be interesting because is there a chance Kareem is there? The last point I want to bring up, and my friends and I have had a discussion. We know LeBron loves to implement new things into his game. Is it any surprise that LeBron James had said early on in the season that he had been practicing the skyhook? And Mitch, will LeBron James try to break the all-time scoring record over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with a skyhook? If he does, it's going to be so freaking obvious because it's it's probably going to be at the end of some – you know, 121 to 98 blowout, whether it's the Lakers winning or losing. And he's just going to be keep go- going like this the whole time, you know, doing one of these from about 10 feet from the basket. I don't know. And, and Kareem might legitimately be pissed about that as which I could, I could see. I don't even know if like with Lakers brass, if the game's in LA with Lakers brass, make him show up if he didn't want to, I feel like they might do that. I think Kareem's the one person that the Lakers brass would not be able to force to come to the game. I think okay. that we know how involved cream is outside of basketball in terms of meaningful work off the court, social justice issues and things like that. And I do think this is a record he thought would never be broken. I could totally see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar not being in attendance for something like this, but it's just funny because I think Kareem would be upset with it. But I also just think to myself, how crazy would it be for a guy labeled that was coming into the league as not a score first, never been labeled as a scorer, to ultimately break the all-time scoring record using the same move that the man who currently holds it broke it with, and that's his signature move. When you think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you think the skyhook. Well, yeah, Just, and it's all yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm intrigued, and listen, I think this all goes out the window. This is the second night of a back-to-back for the Lakers when they play the Spurs. If LeBron sits, it all goes out the window because then you're talking he'd have to average. I'm not good at math, but a lot of points in three games. But the pace he's on, Mitch, what he needs to do to break it at MSG. It is a factor, and I am yeah. so ready for it. Yeah, that Bucks game is also a national broadcast on TNT, so I'm wondering if they're calculating that as well. I mean, it'd be funny if, you know, the pace that he's going at, if he were to actually play in those games that I mentioned and ended up breaking the record 
in New Orleans or against Oklahoma City of all teams. And it is incredible to see the average that he's been going at since the turn of the calendar year, where his his worst game right now was a 23-point outing against Memphis, which was a win. Since then, 43 points, 37, 35, 48, 32, 37, the 46 one where we thought he could break 50. Man's ageless. Man's the man has the best conditioning in, in basketball. He has some of the best uh, tune-ups you can possibly imagine, the best uh, programs, and he's utilizing it. So this is a man that's going to play until he's at least 40, at least. I don't ever want to see him stop. He will stop probably like when the average gets down to, let's say, maybe 20. The average gets down to like 20, 25 even, because I think at that point you're not. He he hasn't been like the main guy period in L.A. for his tenure because you have guys like AD there. But when you've seen often those guys can't even get on the floor for games or they're really struggling, LeBron has to be the guy. And if someone were to come in, I mean, I know they made this trade recently for the for a new guy, and he's he's not like a top player or anything, but he's 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 a he's a guy that I think can do some good things. When LeBron no no longer becomes the guy, even with players out, I think that's the time where it's like, okay, I need to step away. Kind of like when Kobe stepped away from the Lakers yeah. towards the end. I agree. I agree. So you, we'll, we'll take we'll touch on Cavs quickly. I mean, we, we they won over the weekend, which I was there for. It was a good win. And I even asked JV Bickerstaff. You know, you mentioned the term disrespectful to describe the Warriors' loss. What term would you use tonight? Better, and that, that and that was it. So for this one, um, the Knicks game where I, Donovan Mitchell came back and looked like he had some good runs there, but it looks like he might have reaggravated his injury a little bit. It just. That was frustrating to see, especially with the Knicks. Julius Randle going for nearly 40 points. Is that, that's that's so unnecessary. It's also so unnecessary to see so many wide-open three-pointers that these Cavs just keep giving up. The Cavaliers, I get people are frustrated with JB, and they have their doubts. I, I can understand it. Me, I'm not one of them right now. No. The Cavaliers have a road game problem and have a defending the three-point shooting problem. Huh. Most of these losses recently, teams are lighting them up from three and shooting over 50% from yeah. three. It goes all the way back to that game they lost against the Brooklyn Nets uh, in December, in which the Nets shot 60% from three. And then the Pacers, I believe, was the next team 61%. I saw last night, at one point, the Knicks were about 53% from three. The Cavaliers have a serious problem at closing out on three-point shooters, which should be easy when you have two giants in the paint. You should want to drive people into the lane to let your big men contest shots. But also, Mitch, they have a serious road problem. And what sucks is the fact that with how they're playing right now, they're going to cost themselves a potential chance to host a first round playoff game in Cleveland, which would put them on the road. And for me, that is a huge concern. And I can only hope they get it figured out. Me too. Me too. And finally, we do have a, a lighter story to end on today. Uh, you know, crime has been a serious problem in Cleveland recently. And, uh, you know, there was a report, I believe it was yesterday, that a scooter was stolen from one Guardians manager Terry Francona, by the way, did I tell you, I didn't tell you my story or did I tell you the story about uh, me and Terry this weekend? You did not. So I'm, I'm driving. I did a radio station shift in the afternoon and I covered the Cavs game on Saturday night and I drove over to the arena and I'm, I'm, I'm stopped on the road. There's a huge line to get into this parking garage and I'm fumbling at the radio and all, and all, and while I'm doing that, I see a guy cut across the front of my car to cross over onto the sidewalk. I look up, it's Terry Francona. Ter I just 
I, I couldn't, pro I, I almost couldn't process it at first. I was like, wait, what? And by the time I was able to get to my window and maybe yell out, Tito, um, he had already crossed the way. It would have been too weird to just scream it at him. But uh, I was like, oh, snapped. I wonder if he was going to the Jack or if he was going to the game, because I don't think he was at the game. They probably would have shouted him out. But um, no, Terry Francona did get his uh, his scooter back, according to a report. Uh, the Cleveland police have found it. I don't even care who stole it. If you, if you stole Fra Francona's scooter, just be lucky that you're not your name's not in this mess right now to the public. That's just a stupid thing. I, I said it to you yesterday. Who steals another man's scooter? A Shame. scooter. I mean, I, it is easier to steal than a motorcycle, I would say. Like if Tito had a motorcycle, I don't know if he does. But like a scooter, the optics of that just aren't the same. It's like it's like stealing a bike. If you're in a, a grown if you're a grown person, you're stealing a bike. I, that that's that's a that's a look that I wouldn't personally want posted to what people know about me. I agree. Bad look. Bad look. Yeah, so that's all we have here for the uh, the 50th episode of the Big Time Sports Podcast show. Hopefully, there's another 50 more of, of these in us. Uh, Mitch, uh, of course, we went over all the stuff here. What's the fact of the day? Well, the fact of the day isn't really a fact anymore because as of 2012, the biggest pizza ever created was 13,580 square feet. I don't know if you saw over the weekend, Pizza Hut now holds the record for the largest pizza ever made. I do not know the exact measurements, but... That fact on my sheet here is no longer a fact because Pizza Hut now holds the record. And that picture looked so cool. And I also can't imagine a pizza that big. I also don't know how much damage I could do. To yeah. YouTube sensation Iraq and Pizza Hut workers spread across the L.A. Convention Center to make a pie that spanned nearly 14,000 feet using th over 13,600 pounds of dough, nearly 5,000 pounds of sweet marinara sauce, more than 8,800 pounds of cheese and nearly 630,000 pepperoni. I, like, how do you like assembling and topping it is one thing. How do you cook that? I don't know. That's a great question. And I can't even try to guess. There was, how to that. there was something that I saw years ago on the Disney channel that I vividly remember. They, they cooked like a giant pizza but I can't remember what exactly it was. And by the time I remember it, we're going to be on four hours of this podcast. And I don't want to hold you people to four hours as much as we enjoyed, have enjoyed having you here uh, listening or watching to the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. <laughs>